you, Thomas. Um, you know, I walked in this morning. It's my first time here. Although I have known of uh, Journey Church, I've known of Journey Church and Down Patrick. I know a number of folk when I walked in and seen and was able to identify uh, folk that I knew. Um, and I've always really had a, a real affirmation about what God wants to do in Down Patrick. I think it was about 15 years ago. And um, I felt that I, I was pastor of, uh, of a church in Carrieduff, Carrieduff Elam Church, and really always had a, a, an amazing hunger for God. It probably stemmed from the first little book that I ever read, and it was by a guy called Smith Wigglesworth, and it was called Ever Increasing Faith. And when I read that book, and I read, do you know, it was so far-fetched from what church was like. It made me realize, Lord, we need that now. We, we need from, from seeing resurrections right the whole way through to seeing people authentically. Now, now, the world out there will say, well, why don't we see everybody? Smith Wigglesworth had a daughter that was profoundly deaf, but yet with all, he could go into a room where a child had died, stay in that room for six, seven hours when the parents were, when they had sent for the police way back because they were so concerned what was happening. And after six, seven hours, he walks out with the child by his side. And, and what faith, what incredible insight and recognition that intimacy with God can do that, can make that happen. Intimacy with God. I, over 30 years ago, just very, very briefly, because I want to get on to what I want to share with you this morning, over just over 30 years ago, 1991, with a young family, I was admitted to the Royal Victoria Hospital with a brain hemorrhage. My wife, Karen, was told that I would never work again. And um, they had... Literally, it was just at the time of the first uh, Gulf War. And eight weeks later, after incredible prayer, intensity of prayer, I walked out of the hospital and they told me, we never want to see you again. Um, so profound was it, and so much against what the specialists had said, that Mr... Funny enough, I was reading that letter that, that I got from the Royal. And it was funny reading back about just in black and white what a, the, the consultant who had just himself come back from um, the Gulf War because he was a specialist in neurology and many of the, of the injuries that troops, the British troops had had was in, involved that. But him writing it down, but he shared with me, he said this here, George, he says, we told you you would never work again. We told you that you would never get back what you had lost. But he said, from looking at your angiograms, at everything that is, we only know that you had it because there's still a residual amount of blood within the cavity of your head. But he said this here, 
He says, if I was to go out onto that road and pick six people at random, bring them in here, I guarantee you I'll find more wrong with them than with you. And that tells you today that God doesn't just give you a touch. He, he has the ability and the power and the desire, which is so incredibly important, to turn your life totally around. And it was that that led me, actually, at that total change into the ministry, something that I never really thought a brother in the ministry and a sister-in-law who was married to a minister, uh, but I never actually... I never actually thought that I would ever go into the ministry, but God has a sense of humor, and he'll bring you. But I pursued, having experienced that I wanted God, but I didn't want God that was just turn up on a Sunday, sing a few songs, get a wee pep talk, and go away. And hopefully that'll get you through to next week. There was more to it than that. And, and I know that, that, do you know the currency that God moves in today is hunger. Who, everyone that thirsteth. I learned that at school. Come you to the waters. You learn a lot at school nowadays and it's not usually that. <laughs> and he that hath no money, come buy and eat. How can you buy if you have no money? Through hunger. So just get hungry. Someone said you can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink. But you can put salt in its oats. <laughs> and, and that literally will give it a thirst. I want to share with you from Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 and verses 1 and 2. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. You know, there, there's, there's many churches that have claimed this verse. Lengthen your cords. I've preached on it on a number of occasions. But it struck me there are many churches that claim this as a promise a promise of enlargement, and still to a large extent, they remain contained. But that's because enlarge the place of your tent is not a promise, it's a command. It's a command. And you can't claim a command, you can only obey it. And that's what excites me about Journey Church. I, I was sharing with you that, that Down Patrick has a real, I, I, just a real affirmation with it, because some of you know that um, God laid down Patrick on my heart about 15 years ago. And we decided to do something about it. And we sent a couple down into down, into down Patrick. And, and for one, well, I believe it for this reason. It just didn't work. It didn't work. That, I, when I say that there, wasn't about, maybe it was my lack of faith or whatever it was. But I tend to believe it had to do with the people and it had to do with the time. And I said this to, to um, Pastor John. I said, you know, yous were the right people at the right time because it needed to happen. 
It really did need to happen. And if it hadn't happened, I would have had another go at it. (laughs) Because God has a heart for this place. And and just talking to, to Thomas this morning, I could see the passion and the hunger in his heart. And you know something? I felt like before I came up here to speak, I felt like... All those that prayed for me in that room in there, if I could just get them to surround this place and pray for you, you'll get more out of it than what I can give you. Because there's hunger that's being transmitted into that. So you can't claim a command, you can only obey it. God doesn't say get a bigger tent. And remember this here, church is not a building. It's you and me. It's us. So God doesn't say get a bigger tent, but enlarge the place of the one you've already got. And what we're seeing here is the picture of not just a contained church, but a contained life. Of a cramped potential and a stunted growth. Your tent is not too small. It's just contained. It's and one of the things that has it contained is our thinking. It's our thinking. Proverbs 23 says this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. See, the devil is more concerned with making sure we are contained, containing you where you are. Number of people in life who are functioning way below their potential, and I've discovered this, including myself, is tragic and contained living equals faulty thinking. And faulty thinking has its origins in fear. You know, I'm so grateful for those that came up and I kicked fear out of the road. Maybe not public speakers, but said, what God has done for me, I've got to get it out. I've got to witness for that. I've got to witness to that. So listen to one of the first Genesis 3 and verse 10. So he, Adam, said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? See, it's ironic, but even before God questioned Adam's obedience, or more accurately, his disobedience, He questioned Adam's source of information. Who told you you were naked? Which clearly implies that we don't need to accept or live by any information that doesn't come from him or his word. So often we've said, I'm depressed or I'm discouraged or I'm a failure. But God is saying, excuse me, but who told you that? Who told you that? Where did you get your information from? Proverbs 4, 20 to 23 says this. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The King James Version says this here, for out of it 
Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. The Hebrew word for issues literally means boundaries. Please don't miss this because it's crucial that we don't skip over something here. This means that the boundaries of your life are not determined by a run of bad luck or other people or external circumstances or the if-onlys. If only that had happened. If only I, I could have been there. If only things had have broke better for me. If only I had done this instead of that. The if-onlys. The boundaries of your life and the extent of your enlargement or containment is already within you. And the two main gateways of the heart are the eyes and the ears. What we see, what we hear. And because of that, we have seen and heard throughout our lives means that many of us are living inside false boundaries. And many of those false boundaries were established by ourselves and many in childhood. Boundaries of prejudice, boundaries of fear, attitudes to authority and money, even boundaries of unbelief and small-mindedness. Let me tell you, there is a definite evil conspiracy. Don't miss this, folks. There is an evil conspiracy. We tend to think, well, I'm under the radar. Satan's really not interested in me. Let me tell you, he is very interested in you. There is an evil conspiracy to keep what God has placed in our hearts from coming out. False boundaries, not to protect us, but to imprison us. See, people that have been hurt, they, they, well, no one, have you ever heard this here before? Nobody's ever going to do that to me again. And so what we do is we build a wall of protection. We don't open ourselves up the way we used to. We don't trust the way we used to. So we build a wall of protection. The problem is that that wall becomes a wall of imprisonment. It doesn't keep people from coming in. It keeps you from going out. It imprisons us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this here. He has made everything beautiful. That's one of my favorite verses. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in our heart. What does that mean? Ever wonder? What does that mean? He has set eternity in our hearts. It means, and we've all experienced it. I know I have. There's got to be more than this. I was made for something more. Do you ever ask yourself the question, are you living in everything that Jesus gave his life for to set you free into? And I don't think there's that many of us that are experiencing that. I was made for more than this. Listen, Jesus believed your life was worth him giving 
up his for. I don't know if you ever, anybody here ever watch Saving Private Ryan? I love that film. It's brutal. It's, it's, it's not the sort of thing that you sit down at 9 o'clock at night with your hot milk just to watch before you go to bed at night. But saving, I tell you what, it's the true story, although it's been dramatised a little, but it is based on a true story of the Millen brothers from New York. Captain Miller, alias Tom Hanks in the film, for those that have seen the film, leads a squad of soldiers on a mission to rescue Ryan, a paratrooper, and bring him home to his mum because his three brothers have all been killed. And back in headquarters, they say, it's just not right. We cannot afford that the war will take all of her children from her. And so the order is given for Tom Hanks, alias the captain, to go and retrieve the um, Private Ryan. And they find him. And they bring him back. But in the process, virtually that little group of people get wiped out, including the captain, Captain Miller. And then at the end of the film, fast forward to the end of the film, Private Ryan is now an older man. His children are with him. His wife is with him. And his grandchildren are there. And it's obvious that he wanted to come to the grave of the guy, Captain Miller, that gave his life. And he turns around to his wife. His wife allows him to have a few moments on, her, on his own as he stands in front of that grave. And as she comes up, he turns to her and he says, tell me I've lived a good life. She says, you have, you have, right? And he says, no, no. Tell me that the life that I lived was worth him giving up his for. And she says, you've been a good man. You've done stuff, you've helped people. And I thought to myself, you know, we, again, need to revisit just exactly what Jesus did for us. Times when we feel, you know, I'm shattered, or, or is this another building program, Journey Church? Where's John Ice now? Going to get, do, do, do I need to sacrificially give more? What, what's going And, you know, we just need to, you know, the brilliant thing about it is you don't visit a grave. I've, I've went on two separate occasions to Israel. I've went to the garden tomb. Jesus is not there. <laughs> but we need to revisit the cross every time and recognize just what it was that cost him. And that will, that will just give you something that you need. See, there's also another little issue and that is wrong thinking, which ultimately leads to self-sabotage. 
Paul said in Romans 12, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. J.B. Phillips' translation. J.B. Phillips was a man who had a, a Sunday school, and he wanted to put the New Testament into... He was the first one before even the Living Bible came out that wanted to put the Bible into everyday reading. And so it's, it's, it's known as the J.B. Phillips translation or paraphrase, as it would. And, and he paraphrased that word, don't let the, the world squeeze you. Sorry, he paraphrased it by, by, by reframing it. And he said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. What he's really saying is there's no, really nothing wrong with you, but there is something wrong with what you allow to, trans, to trespass into your mind, the way you think. It's our internal programming that is making us think there is something wrong with us. Sometimes we need, as it were, to become a little bit more self-aware and realize that it's not us that's the problem but the way we think. Check your thinking. Listen, there's a reason why we use the expression train of thought. I had my two of my grandchildren. Yesterday, I took them to um, the museum, Ulster Museum, in Botanic Gardens. And I, I, occasionally, I'll take them to Newcastle and I'll take them to different places and treat them and they'll do this but I tell you when you're a grandfather you look worse cheap <laughs> you, you don't get anything cheaper than free and the museum's free and I took them in and we went right round everywhere uh, looked past all the different things and, and you go into and it gives you there's one area of it that gives you right from I think it goes from the 1920s to 1968. And it shows you houses and it shows you transport. And I looked through it and something rang a bell with me way back. I, didn't, I don't remember the trams. I'm not that old. I'm old, but I'm not that old. Um, but I don't remember the trams. But I do remember that the, the tram lines were inverted lines. You know, a railway line is, is, is raised in the train, but the tram lines are inverted. In other words, uh, it's so the traffic can drive over the top of it. But I can remember riding a bike. <laughs> and I remember just the front wheel get into one of those inverted lines. I wanted to go up the Ravenhill Road, but I tell you that, tram line was taking me over the Albert Bridge. <laughs> it didn't make any difference. I was going. And, and that's something that every single, it's an expression that every single one of us use, a train of thought. Where we go down, you know, 80%, not, I think, not everybody knows this, but 80% of everything that you do every day, you do it subconsciously. It's only literally 20% of your thought life is in the now. 
You know, if I was to ask some of you, well, what did you have for your breakfast? You'd have to think about it. Or how did you get dressed? Or what color are your socks? Or what, you know, all of those things. I know, literally, I just grabbed things. And, I, and, and the bottom line is, we can't think about every single thing. That's the way God made us. So once you, you know, I remember learning to drive. Anybody remember learning to drive? Yeah. See, when you learn to drive, you're sitting right up looking out. You couldn't be begin to think about turning the radio on when you were driving. I drive now in autopilot. There's times that I arrive at a destination and say, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> you know, and I don't think I'm the only one. I've been accused of being a bad driver and all that and exceeding the speed limit and doing stuff like that there. You know, I just have the same excuse. Officer, I, my, my, I, I, I tried that once. I got carried away listening to the CD. And I got booked. He says, take the CD out. If that's what happens, take it out. Don't. And so we do so much of our stuff in the subconscious. Most of our activity, activity has done that. But listen, the renewal of the mind is not automatic because we are Christians. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean to say we automatically totally think differently. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Don't let the world squeeze you into its way of thinking. There's things, do you know it's controlled many times by fear? You know, that's why, do you know, when I, when I think about the budget even for that conference last, fear. John Ash kicked fear out of the road. And he says, he said this here, no, we're going to do this, we'll do it right. God will, God will provide. And you know, I, I have given towards it, I want to, because I got blessed by it, incredibly blessed by it. If you haven't yet, I would encourage you, give, because I tell you, that's, that's money well invested. As I'm hoping that he'll do another or something similar next year. We need those sorts of things. So sing, barren woman, I'm just going to finish. Now sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And then enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your, st your stakes. Why is she being instructed to sing and rejoice in the midst of barrenness. It's because God is coming. I love what, what was being, we're excited. Get ready, God is coming. And I can sense that, I could sense it this morning when I came into this place. God is coming. And verse two, two tells us that we are told, plan for God. And if you don't plan for God to come, he won't come. Could you imagine, actually, because this, this happens so often, we don't plan. This is great because you're going to an enlarged place around there. 
That's because you could say, well, this place, can I'd like this place just to be filled and we can bring extra chairs out and then we'll think about moving. You've got to get ready for it. God is waiting to see, are you really serious? What would you think if someone invited you for dinner and you arrive at the door and you're looking forward to dinner and then you overhear her saying, quick, go down to the Chinese. I forgot they were coming. <laughs> you think you did forget? Was it just something that you said casually? God thinks that way. Did you just pray that casually? It didn't cost you anything? Or did you go to the trouble of preparing for what I can do? You want revival? You want God to break out? You want to see healings and miracles and everything? Then get enlarge where you are. And that's not just the physical environment, but you've got to enlarge. You've got to, you know, we may sing in prophecy about enlargement, but if our life continues to be contained, it's not going to happen. And making it happen demands an all-out war on barrenness. If our church is barren in friendliness to visitors, we need to forget enlargement. If our church is barren on reaching out to the unsaved, forget enlargement. If how we do things is sloppy and barren of excellence, forget enlargement. If our preaching is barren of relevance, forget enlargement. I think, you know, so much of what we do, and, and I see the opposite, so much of what we do has got to be done in the frame of mind that we're playing to an audience of one. It's not about, can I impress this one? Or is that one pleased with me? Or is that, you know, we've got to do it for an audience of one. Because if he's pleased, then you know something? cricket club will be too small. <laughs> you know? My desire, and I sense this here so much, and, and I sense it, I said to Thomas this morning, I just catch his enthusiasm and his energy. You, you can't get that. A new building doesn't bring that. God's got to see that you're earnest. You're earnest. Everything. You know, I don't know, maybe some of you are at a tough place. It's tough being barren. It could be barren and, and hopes and dreams. God's saying, I want you to celebrate. Not when the barrenness is satisfied and turned around. I want you to sing in the midst of your barrenness. There's too much of the church today says, Lord, bless me, and then I'll do this. 
but I need you to bless me first before I can do this. No. I, I have often felt um, really when needs come and present themselves to you that you feel least equipped to be able to meet those needs. Anybody else feel like that? I feel like that. I wish I was in a better place. God's saying, no, it's the right time now. You reach out of what you've got now. I think I had a little boy that had the five loaves and the two fish. He could have said, hang on a second. My my belly's rumbling. And this isn't going to do anything for the crowd that's there. So at least if I get fed, it'll make a difference. But he didn't. He says, I don't have very much. But it's yours, Jesus, if you could do something with it. I don't have a big lot. I don't have what could feed this crowd. But if it could make a difference, I'll give it to you, Jesus. And that's what, that's what I believe God is saying. So I, I have, you don't need to be the fulfillment of everything that you had dreamed and hoped for in order to reach out now and make a difference. Let's stand, shall we? Bless you. Thank you, Rebecca, for really bringing us into what was not beautiful this morning. And... We really need to get beyond, to get beyond the aspect of just listening to something. There are two people in the Bible that build similar houses in a similar climate, but they had different foundations. One built his house on the rock. The other one built his house on sand. The one that built his house on sand, seen it built and erected in a record quick time. He probably looked across at the other guy that seemed to spend so much time on stuff that you couldn't see and kind of smirked. But then it started to rise from the ground and his house became finished. And then the Bible talks about a storm that comes. Folks, storms come. They do. And they impact everybody. Nobody's really excluded. It says that the storm came. The one that built his house on sand fell. The one that built his on the rock stood. What does that mean? Well, 
The disciples wondered what it meant and Jesus explained it. He says, the difference is between hearing something and going away. Maybe say, what's a good word? That challenged me a bit. That was fine. But the other one heard it and they said, this has got to make a difference in my life. What's the point? Just hearing something that maybe tickles your ears or maybe it just you just go and you say, glad that was over. One heard and responded. One heard and walked away. And I see, and I'm excited. I came in here this morning and right away I just felt the presence of Jesus. I've been to places where the presence, I've been to Pensacola, my wife and myself went and then we took our children just about 25 years ago. To see people, grown men, just weep before God and fall prostrate. We had the, the joy of being able to have John Kilpatrick's wife, and she shared about how that without anybody saying anything, so powerful was the presence of Jesus in those meetings. She says there was one little one. He was about eight-year-old, nine-year-old, and the, the parents said, sent down for the youth pastor, and, and, and the little lad was just doing this, back and forward. And he did that the whole time, whole time the service, for two hours solid, just back and forward. And they were wondering, they thought, is this some sort of mental illness, or what is it? They sent for the youth pastor and the youth pastor came up just to pray over the lad. And he took the lad away. And he came back and he said this here, your son just got a vision of sinners in hell. And he's reaching over and he's picking them out. Picking them out. And you know, so much can the gospel impact you that Jesus said, get the foundations right. Get the stuff right. Don't let fear dictate the rest of your life. But you can change your life this morning by allowing him to smash down those boundaries that we have allowed to be erected. Many of them by fear. And where we can say, Lord, I'm here. Um, I wish there was like Rebecca that, that can literally play music and worship, do that. I'm, I'm really not that great at that. And you know something? I, 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 I'm looking and, and outside of secular employment, I'm not really that great at much else. But, but like that lad with the five loaves and the two fish, if, if, what I've got, Jesus, can make a difference. 
then I, I come to you this morning and I say, I just offer me up. And you know, Jesus, me better than I, you know my failures. You know where I've promised to do stuff and I've fallen back on that. You know where my shortcomings are. You know me better than anybody. But I come to you this morning and if you could in any way use me, use what I've got, then I surrender it to you this morning. And just as Rebecca leads us in that this morning, I want you to, as Rebecca leads us in, in worship, those songs were beautiful this morning. Then I want to invite you to come up and you're not presenting yourself to George Ritchie or anything or to, to Thomas. You're presenting yourself to him and you're just simply saying, whatever, whatever, I give it to you. No more excuses, no more what ifs, no more this morning in coming to you, I, I start to break down any walls of fear or whatever or not good enough or whatever down and I say, Jesus, you died for me, for me. And if you felt that I was good enough for you to die for, then the least I can do is say, I give you everything now. So as Rebecca leads us in that, I want you to just come to the front. I don't know if you... If you just feel that, just come and just present yourself to him this morning, right now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you.